0: and we're back with another episode of food in the hood.
1: That's right, and today we have a special guest joining us. Yes. Brian? Brian, I always um never really figured out how to pronounce your last name.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it's Brian Lay.
1: Brian Lay, great. So, Say hi Brian to the Lay. Pod.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Brian Lay, um I've known Brian since when we worked together on the Science Meets Food blog, which is an IFTSA or Institute of Food Technologists Student Association, um, its official blog, and um, Brian actually came up with a new book recently called 150 Food Science Questions Answered, Cook Smarter, Cook Better. So he's here today to talk a little about his new book, um, as well as you know talk to us a little bit about um, kind of his background experience as a scientific writer. Um, Brian has written for many different platforms besides writing this book and besides writing for Science Needs Food. Um, so Brian, do you want to start us off and tell us what what is this new book all about and how did you come up with the idea?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, this book is basically... Scientific questions, and if you had an interest in science, all the things in the back of your mind, as far as how does food work and what happens when you cook. Um, and I got the idea actually from my publisher. It wasn't my choice in the, uh, originally. Um, they reached out to me and they thought that I might be a good person to write out this book. So they said they had this concept, um, mm-hmm. they had the structure, and they, you know, they hired me to sort of build out the content and i basically took it and I, I i ran with it
0: cool so uh brian also maybe introduce a little bit of um what what do you do outside of you know writing a book and writing blogs
2: yeah i'm currently a phd candidate at the university of wisconsin madison so i spent a lot of my time researching uh garlic and onion and um Outside of that, I mean, I like to run. I like to hang out with my wife. Um, yeah. I like to spend my time reading about food. I'm pretty. Mm. I'm pretty much a foodie.
1: Can relate. Can can yeah. totally relate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. So, um, before we kick off with more, um, we want to talk more about scientific communications and how that ties to uh, Brian's book. Uh, but before we begin with that, we actually have a uh, copy of this book for a, a giveaway event. Uh, so uh, we're going to plug in here and we're going to mention it again in the end of the recording. Is that um, uh, for our listeners who is uh, who, who are interested in getting Brian's book, first the link will be in the description, so you can get it from uh, Amazon and other, um, you know, wherever, you sell book nowadays, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Barnes and Noble maybe, um, or uh, you will. Uh, you also have the chance to enter a, a, a giveaway event. where We have one free copy of the book available, so you could either uh, enter the link in the description to uh, go into a brief. Um, topic suggestions for Food in the Hood, uh, just leave your email and um, we'll, we'll do the drawing afterwards. And if, it, uh, if you're, you're selected, we'll contact you with more details. Okay, and um, so I'm going to kick it off here with uh, a question for Brian. Um, and I, I mean, this is probably we can all chime in a little bit because um, your book is entitled with uh, 150 questions answered in food science. Right, But what is your number one food science trivia to a stranger? Um, kind of like your food science pickup line at a bar. Um, what would that be?
2: <laughs> so one of the things that has really fascinated me is the concept of umami. Okay. And I love the story of umami because it's so quintessentially... It, it, it kind of represents what it means to be a food scientist in a lot of ways. But basically... Um, the the father of umami uh, was a Japanese chemist back in the early 1900s, and he was really interested in food, um, but he just was studying, you know, basic chemistry at the time. And one night, he tasted a uh, broth that his wife made, and he thought, wow, this is super delicious. What's in it? And his wife told him that it had more uh, kombu, which is a, a type of seaweed that is really rich in umami flavor and and his first thought was like how do i isolate this how do i Mm -hmm. isolate the basic principle of umami so he spent a whole year you know taking like 20 22 26 pounds of you know the seaweed and he just broke it down component by component and he just tasted Uh each component you know extraction after extraction extraction eventually after a year of work he found that it was um, the glutamates, the glutamates that are rich inside the seaweed. And that's, that's umami. Mm-hmm. You know? And so foods that have a lot of umami have a lot of glutamates. Um, and then the funny part is, uh, is that his students later on discovered uh, two other factors in umami. One is um, uh, inosinates, and one is guanilates, mm-hmm. And these together with glutamates Uh, form a sort of synergy Um, together they they blow out umami and you know all foods and it's it's really exciting to know that that's something that you can do um, in the kitchen or you know if you're developing a product Um, so that's my little trivia right
0: okay yeah that's that's very great and i think it just we kind of have talked about this on our previous episodes um, how people just kind of take for granted of oh umami, is not just MSG taste, but like hey, you're gonna come up with i MSG somewhere, right? This is, this science has to happen first before you can actually have a known compound.
2: Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. And
1: kind of on 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 that note, um, you know, this is a book and with, with many different um, questions that you answered, and you provide a lot of insights. So I'm curious about when you were writing this book, did you have a target audience in mind? So, you know, is it the average home chef who's interested in learning a little bit more about the science behind what they're cooking and making in the kitchen? Is it for um, a food scientist? What sort of the target audience you had in mind when you were crafting the book?
2: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I felt this would be a great introductory book for someone that is starting off in science but has an interest in food. It could be your, you know, average food science student, um, or it could be someone that likes to cook but maybe you know has studied a little bit of chemistry on the side. Um, that that was really my target audience: someone that had a little bit of the foundation or was interested in getting involved in those foundations. Um, mm-hmm. it, it it can get a little technical. I I do. See that, um, but I had my wife kind of look through a few of the <laughs> few of the sections just, right. uh, and she she studies uh, she studied uh, counseling, so you know okay. she comes from a very different background, and uh, you know it's it's got a little bit of a mix, like you know some people like my wife are gonna want to try to understand this sort of thing, mm-hmm. and um, I just wanted to make it more approachable for for those readers as well.
0: Yeah, mm,
1: definitely, yeah, and I think you know when we talk about. You know, you mentioned making it approachable for people who might not necessarily have the strongest scientific background. And I think that's something that's very interesting about food science, which is it is science, but it is applied to food, which is something that is very universal. Some Everyone has experiences yeah. with food because everyone has to eat.
0: Everyone is their right? own food scientist.
1: Right, right. right. <laughs> In some sense, everyone, you know. everyone to some degree knows something about food, right? So that kind of got me thinking about, you know, when we talk about scientific communication um, in the realm of food science and also in the realm of other sciences, that might look a little bit different, right? And depending on who the target audience is, how you would communicate something scientific to them might be different too. Um, So before we jump into that, um, I'm curious, you know, as a as a food scientist, how did you venture into writing about it and not just, you know, doing food science?
2: Yeah, um, that's a that's a fun question because I think, um, you know, this gets a little personal. Basically, I got a little bogged down in my uh, PhD program uh, around my second or third year, and I and I really was trying to find an outlet for, you know, this idea of I really liked telling my friends and my family about food science, but part of me couldn't really convey the sort of complexity. And I felt like I wasn't, you know, I'd get really excited, but, you know, people didn't really know what I was talking about. So um, I think at some point I started reaching out to different organizations and companies. And I I said, hey, like, I'd love to write for you guys. And, And the reasoning behind that was because, I didn't want to go anywhere to volunteer or communicate stuff. It's because I just wanted to sit on my computer and be able to (laughs) do all these things, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of a factor of laziness. Like, that's that's the thing. You're more
1: of a potato than someone who wants to be out and about all the time. Exactly, exactly.
2: (laughs) I'm not going to go out and... You know, I, I did the whole, like, outreach thing in, in college where I'd go to schools and, you know, talk about chemistry. And, you know, at some point, like, you just, your schedule gets really busy. You just want to be like, I want to do this thing on my own time. So writing became the perfect vehicle for that. Um, and so as, as I started writing, I realized there was so much more on the writing side as much as the food science side, right? It wasn't just, okay, I have this knowledge and I'm just going to put it down you know, there's a lot of factors as far as how you construct a sentence, how do you build a paragraph, how do you communicate something that's complex in a way that people are going to want to read and, and enjoy reading. And I, I think I got that actually from my wife who she devours books. Um, I'm actually really jealous of her because, you know, she can sit there and read for an entire day. And I, I don't know how she gets the stamina for that. You know, yeah. I'd I love to be able to read like that. But um, so she's she's kind of my muse. I always want to write a book that she's going to do the same thing for. And that hasn't happened yet. You know, this <laughs> book hasn't become <laughs> that book. So I still have a few I have a few <laughs> bars ahead of me, a few levels to reach before I, I get to the right. level of writing that my wife will be interested in. <laughs> so
0: so what are what were some feedback that she give to you? Or what where where, where did where where was the part in the book that got her stopped reading? <laughs>
2: uh. Yeah, I um, and this is one of those challenges, right? Um, that I was talking about where she thinks I um, I'm verbose, right? I I kind of get uh, I get too excited. I I start going from the beginning. Like I love uh, the history of things, so I'm like mm-hmm. way back, you know, ancient times. <laughs> you know, fish sauce was invented by the Romans, and I get I go kind of go on and on and on and on.
0: Yeah, uh, and and that's really happened a lot. I think Amanda, you you would also um, agree with this, right? Because a lot of times, because um, you mentioned um, your family would send you like WhatsApp messages and oh just be <laughs> just be like, "Oh, should I eat this or not? <laughs> like, is this right, toxic? Right, right. Uh, right. These type of uh, very straightforward, a, a a simple yes or no answer, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think, um, yes, I think a lot of times, you know, there there is a time to be concise, you know, when someone suddenly WhatsApps me or a relative asks me, okay, are GMO foods really bad? Should I eat this GMO tomato or pay double the price for it? Um, I think there's a time to be concise. But then also, like Brian mentioned, I actually appreciate sometimes also the type of verbose scientific communication. And by that, I mean, you know, there are times where people just want to get the straight facts because they just want to know what they came here to know. But from my personal perspective, when I'm reading something for leisure, you know, like let's say talking about fish sauce, right? Not just talking about the science, but also the origins and kind of like painting it in a very beautiful way that gives it history and gives it meaning. I think that is also a type of craft. Right. Just not just talking about the science part of it, but making it a very engaging story. Mm-hmm. So I think like there is a time and place for both types of communication. Um, but Ben brought up a really good point. Sometimes people you know, just come up to you and they ask you a question that requires some sort of scientific answer explanation.
0: It, it's very utilitarian. Right. It, it's like, you know, a lot about food. Let me ask you a question about food and it. The the, the the whoever asked the question wants a direct and clear cut answer, right? I I I'll, I'll briefly talk about you know my sister. She lives in France, and um, uh, by the way, she hasn't report back on the uh, hydroponic uh, farming yet.
1: Um, that we mentioned y- last episode. Yeah, we right. We'll wait for well, her yeah, update. We'll, we'll <laughs> wait for
0: her uh, for that. But uh, she recently texted me and asked me, you know, is it safe to drink milk in China? Right. Because there were a, a few uh, scandals that happened um, and uh, food safety or public concerns on um, uh, um, uh, dairy products. It's its high. Right. Um, and, and there are some, you know, the standards. If you really dig into the standard of identity and the detailed regulations, there are differences and there are definitely different standard of qualities per se. Um, and you know when when I started to explain these, be we like, oh, you know, milk should have three point five percent of protein, but uh, in the Chinese government only requires a two point eight percent to be called milk. In the United States, is three percent, and in the EU standard is three point two. So, is it is it bad? Might not be super bad. Is this um you know pure milk? No, they're probably selling some water on top of the milk. Um. And but but for her it was like you know well that's cool so should I still let my kids drink milk when we travel to China, um, right? So so that's that that's the that that's the uh, hundred dollar question that she cares about. And I think Amanda, to your point, this is really a, a a situation where answering scientific question becomes a service, right? It's it's sort of like you're 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 a citizen scientist trying to. Uh, chime in and provide your expertise outside of your main work, right? It's it's, it's not part of your work, but you in, encounter that a lot, and and this this type of work and this type of yes or no questions, um, is difficult to answer, right? Um, but I think Brian, um, to you or to your book, um, a lot of your uh the out of the hundred fifty questions, some of them are yes or no questions, right? Um, but I realized when I was going through the list of questions, they're very detailed. Right. So um, if you don't mind, I'll just read out one. Um, like, is steam really hotter than boiling water? Right. So so it's something that's really um it's really detailed to me, right? Right. It doesn't it's not something like, Should I drink milk in China? Like very broad. But steaming the water these type so so do you want to chime in here and talk about the different type of yes or no questions here
2: yeah um the the whole yes or no concept is is really interesting because a lot of a lot of questions aren't binary like you mentioned a lot of questions are nuanced and there's a lot involved and i think it's it's an easy way to make uh A question utilitarian because people really just want to know the yes or no um, at the end of the day Um, and so there's there's the people who want that and then there's the people who want the explanation and I think I think the explanation helps kind of guide a reader into oh here are some nuances here are the potential for maybe there it's not quite yes or no it could be a maybe or it could be in these circumstances um, so it's 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 really for mm-hmm. two types of readers, right and that's that's how the book is structured where you know you can just flip through it and you can get your answer and it's in your face and and then you kind of close it and you move on. And, or it's the person that you know is really just kind of flipping through and wants to be methodical and really wants a, a more thorough answer. Um, and I thought that you know again, <laughs> this is actually the a concept uh, driven by my publisher. And there were some questions where I sat there and I thought, "This doesn't <laughs> have a yes or no. Like, there's no way for I for me to put a yes or no on this." And I think it actually forced me to think about what is the best way to answer this because for some people, they they want the yes or no. They they don't want the ambiguity. And it's almost like you have to deliver a product, um, uh, and and you want to just. Think about what's the minimum idea that you you can convey. What's like the the one byte of information, the one or zero that you you can deliver to people and and get them to um, get the value out of that particular. Hmm,
0: totally, idea. yeah. So you've got the. Um, it's it's kind of like it's either you, you're you're here for an answer or you're here for a story. Um, Right. Uh, and um, so it sounds like you're trying to do a little bit of both, um, at least to give the answer up front and then go into the, well, actually, part uh, <laughs> a little bit. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: That that seems to be one of the challenges of scientific communication. Right. Understanding what your audience, um, what type of response they're expecting and also um, the degree of their background that helps you craft your response to them. Um, So, you know, building off on that, what are some of the, I guess, some of the most challenging thing for you when you started, um, you know, writing all of these scientific articles and how did you go about becoming better at them?
2: Yeah, I think... um... The, the real challenge was making articles interesting to read. Um, I, I can write all day, honestly, um, and I can put words on paper. But the problem comes when you reread things like that and you realize the, the first customer, the first reader is yourself. And you, you want to be able to read something and enjoy reading it. And, you know, half the time I read what I write mm-hmm. and I, I don't like it. And I think, you know, and there's, you know, there's two types of writers. There's, there's the writers who just get everything on paper, rough, rough draft, and then they just go through, you know, different drafts over and over again. And that's the kind of writer I am. My wife, on the other hand, she, she puts <laughs> down, it's perfect. She doesn't want to look at it ever again. She's right. like, I did it, I'm done. But, she, you know, every, every mm-hmm. sentence is crafted Um, moment by moment so when i when i start i start with a concept um and i think getting the process down was the biggest challenge for me where how do i go from concept to actually something that has life essentially uh, that that people will read and enjoy and it will Mm -hmm. it will brighten their day and that's that's really that's i think that's a challenge of any writer but for people who have more of a technical background um i i was kind of lousy in uh, english I don't think that's in true, high school but okay. <laughs> this is this is my like attempt to 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 reconcile that <laughs> those days see i did not pay attention in class like i was playing video games under the, 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 the desk okay. like and I'm am actually still friends with my my English teacher. She was yeah. my neighbor, right? But she can tell you. I, I think you should
1: show her some in, of the work in,
2: you've in been doing, time. and show her this book. You know, I'm, wow. re- I'm I'm waiting, right? I'm I'm like I've got <laughs> the book. I haven't told her yet. I'm like, oh, like is she gonna is she gonna find this like suitable? <laughs> no, she she's been great. She's been great. She's been a big inspiration. Um, but ultimately, um, I I kind of came at it later in my life you know now that I'm in my I'm 31 um but I I really love it I love the idea of crafting something and having something that people can sit back and and sort of absorb you know because you, you read technical documents and you read uh writing by people who you know may not really have an eye or or a thought in terms of um how is this designed for the reader and and it's hard it can be really painful at times to read things right Mm -hmm. to slog through um and and i never wanted to be that so
0: i guess my question to that would be um you you know when i'm doing some of my own writing i i I found that oftentimes um if you were just trying to answer a question uh verbally or, or orally uh um it would be you know, quite straightforward, or you can go on. It's more casual, right? So that type of scientific communication works um, more intimate, I'd say. Like right? whoever can come up to your face and ask a question, you probably know the person already. Um, if it's a sci- scientific communication type of setting, so it makes things a little bit easier. You can correct yourself. You can um, you can you can go back and forth. Right. Well, by the way, I'm I'm talking about um uh, whole milk instead of skim milk. Okay, then the story kind of changes a little bit there. Uh, so so as the answer. But when you're putting things on paper or let us say just a blog, right, it's still it's something that's fixed, right. You have to hit the button to publish it and it goes out and you can change it later. But but it there's no, quote unquote interactions, right, back and forth interactions. So so my question is. Do you find this different or how how do you how do you feel about these type of um, communications? You you talk a lot about writing, um, but you do still enjoy speaking with others about food, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's very interesting because um, that you say like, oh, you can you can talk and you can fix it um, during the conversation. And I think that that's absolutely true. And there's something about, you know, if you're talking to an audience, every word counts because you can't, you know, you can't go back. If if you lose your audience, you lose your audience and you're done. Right. So there's almost it's almost like in the moment, every word matters. Whereas in my mind, when I write, I can fix it for Mm -hmm. weeks. You know, I've got. I can go back and I can just redraft and redraft. And you're absolutely right. Once it goes out, it's done. It's shipped. Um, but I, what I like about um, what I like about writing is is this ability to sort of fix. I get control over the moment mm-hmm. in which that gets sent out. The everything behind the scenes, I'm I can I can make it my own in some way. Um, whereas you know if I'm talking to someone. And this does happen. You know, I talked to my wife and I, you know, in, in the first five seconds, I'm <laughs> yeah. you know, like, then I'm not getting huh. it. I'm not getting back right. From right. That, you know? So, and it, it's right. tricky, right? Like, and it, it really depends on who you're talking to. Like some people are a little more forgiving and some people, you know, they just tune out and it's, it, and that's the, that's the complexity uh, of, of communication. I think every medium has its own. Um, nuances and, and its own way of where you can edit and where you can, you know, turn back time and you can make sure that things become, um, you know, fixed up in some way. Um, and I, I think that you're right, you know, conversation is a beautiful, informal way of um, communicating with people. And that's, that's actually one of the tools I use um, is to talk to myself. Um, or I'll speak out loud or if I'm reading something, I'll, I'll, re- I'll read it out loud and I'll be mm. like, oh, that doesn't sound right. You know what? It's funny because when you read things, you kind of miss some things. But if you say it out loud, you realize, oh, I can make it more concise. I can I can give it some more flair. I can give it more emotion. I can give it more uh, uh, storytelling um, aspects. And I think that's the that, that's the kind of beauty of of mixing, matching different communication styles.
1: Right. I I think that is so true. Um, There is no one perfect way to craft anything. And it's so dependent, like you said, on the medium, right? And who your audience is. Um, Something interesting that you mentioned earlier on is that for you, part of the challenge is, you know, going from concept to paper, sort of that process of clarification, etc. But I ca- kind of want to take us back to even before that concept is fully formed, right? So when we talk about food, there's a ton of food blogs, food science blogs, food science writing that is out there. Um, some are signs, some, and- some
0: are just food, right?
1: Right, uh-huh. right. There's there's like Bon Appetit, Epicurious, The Food Lab by Kenji Lopez. Um, so there's so many different ways that people go about it. How do you come up with an interesting idea or take an existing concept and give it a special angle to really, you know, because you said for you, it's really important that you put a new light on things, right? And And write it in a way that will engage the audience. So what is sort of your process for inspiration and and getting to that stage
2: yeah so it it it's very it's very much a lot mm-hmm. of it is shower thoughts okay like if I'm taking a shower you know I'm relaxed and something percolates right and I'll write that down And I have this notebook where I write all these different concepts down um you know and I'll read I'll read and I'll read but Really what's happening is something gets stuck in my head and you know it's it's basically a meme that lives in my brain and I can't it doesn't go away it's like the song that you know you can't seem to get out of your head so once I find a topic that's like that where it just won't go away no matter what I do no matter how I try I I fixate on that that's my idea that's what I'm going to use and latch onto and I think it kind of comes out of this process in my mind where I'm like, well, if it's stuck in my head, maybe it'll mm-hmm. be stuck in other people's head. Um, and, and it also helps with the writing because I, I, honestly, I can't tell you how many drafts I, I half finished and I'm like, nope, not, this, is, this is not interesting to me anymore. And I, I used to just push through and say like, you know, I'm going to just write this and get it done. And at some point, I realized that it was wasting a lot of time, because even if I create a finished product, I'm not inspired, and it's not interesting for the reader. Um, And at this point, I just decide that the easiest thing to do is just keep going through that whole cycle until I find something that I like, and I can finish, and I imagine that other people are going to enjoy reading. Seems
1: like that process of just writing itself helps you, you know, come to the understanding of is this idea worth it right and not just you're not just writing just to make a product and put it out there and, and this is this is a whole process that goes on behind
0: wow yeah Absolutely. that's that's great i've had i've heard of uh similar stories of um mm-hmm. you know people uh, someone wouldn't just uh, wake up in the middle of the night and sort of write down things, right? And, and um, the the reason behind that was uh, this person was basically saying, well, if I can't remember the next day, it's probably not worth of a good idea.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I do think absolutely. when it comes
1: to the creative process, this is a bit difficult, but sometimes it's necessary to you know chuck things away. It feels like you're cutting off your own limb because you put so much time and energy into it, but...
0: Mm-hmm. You yeah. gotta
1: do what you gotta. Do. It's like writing a dissertation. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. you're like, delete, delete. Let me delete this entire section. Yeah. I, start over.
0: <laughs> and that's I think that's very important for scientific communication, right? Because much of the effort that when we hear about Signcom, it's into oh, how do you explain this? How do you how do you like make it approachable to your audience who are non scientists? But at the same time, it's really important to also create an interesting topic, or to pitch an interesting. Um, idea or, or either either it's just some some uh, blog post or even a po- podcast recording. It's got have an, it's got to be fun and engaging for people to listen through um, so that actually that, that helps with the expression and the delivery process. Um, and, and I think us uh, recording food in the hood, we're also trying to do that. It's, it's that we're, we're really topic driven. Um, Amanda and I really spent a lot of time on thinking about the topics. Actually, the deliver part becomes really casual, right? Once we know what we're going to talk about, um, it, it kind of flows really well and it comes out.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So um, let's uh, move on from the um, our main topic to the uh, new food product sharing. So yes. we have Brian here for his first uh first new uh, food product sharing session um so amanda do you want to go first just set an example Yeah. Um, yeah
1: so what we typically do during these food product sharing is we share a new food product that we've tried um we do it at the end of each episode and since brian is our first guest we're so excited to have someone else you know share something that they've eaten or tried recently that they liked Um, So something that I tried recently is actually, I have the packaging here with me. Uh, It is called Kata Mita, So that's K-H-A-T-T-A space M-E-E-T-H-A. So I think that stands for sweet and spicy, but essentially it's sort of a mixed snack. Um, It's a sweet and spicy blend of chickpea flour noodles, rice flakes, green peas, and peanuts. It's sort of, it's... It belongs to, you know, Indian cuisine, and I think of it as being quite similar to troll mix because there's a bunch of stuff inside, and, you know, it has mango powder, turmeric powder, cumin powder, ginger powder, etc. So it's a super flavorful snack, and I love, you know, strong-tasting flavors. So whenever I'm hungry, I just, like, have a handful, and I'm satisfied. But this is, this is great. This is, like, I have a giant bag of 500 grams and I've eaten like half of it in a day. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's a problem, but it's so good. I highly recommend you guys to try it out. Okay. You can find one at the Indian grocery store nearby.
0: Very good. And, um, Brian, do you want to share yours?
2: Yeah. So my wife found this awesome chocolate at whole foods. Um, it's by, uh, I think that's how it's pronounced but V O S G E S and our favorite flavor is uh this burnt caramel with pink sea salt and it's a 72% dark chocolate mm. but the caramel is inside the squares so you know you get a little bit of the dark chocolate and you get a little bit of that salty flavor and you get a little bit of that caramel and we're kind of, we're kind of addicted to it I think cuz nine of us we don't really like to eat just plain chocolate, um, it really takes something to, to get in
0: our... Wow. You know, yeah, sounds like a
1: winning combo. Um, really salt, caramel, chocolate. Mm-hmm. Ugh.
0: Yeah, pink You said salt this is... is
1: at Trader Joe's? Okay. i oh, it's mm-hmm. going to keep that on my watch list. It is whole food. <laughs> Yeah, that's
0: very good. What about you, Ben? Um, I'm, I'm going to please you, Amanda. I, um, <laughs> I, I recently uh, found... Uh, so Lay's Lay's chips now have wavy chips. Uh, so Lay's wavy. You would think that's just ruffle chips, but they're not. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's an entire category. Yeah,
0: it's a it's a new line apparently, and I really like their um fifty percent reduced sodium. Uh, uh just original, uh, mm-hmm. um, wavy Lay's chips. Uh, those are great. They have a great crunch. Um, you do taste a lot of more potatoes and um instead of the salt um actually I, I i've been really enjoying those um i the the regular original it has always been on the saltier side for me so this 50 percent reduced sodium is is perfect for me and um yeah. just you don't have anything else it's just, just plain potatoes and, that, and that, those are pretty i think pretty simple um but um quite tasty
1: Do you know if they add any like potassium chloride or anything to replace the salt they took out? Or is it literally just 50% less salt?
0: Oh, that I'm not sure. Um, I Uh think, well, it does taste less salty to me. So they probably didn't preserve the salty taste, just went for less salt Mm -hmm. um, to me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sounds like a good product, and I, I'm glad. It's a PepsiCo brand. Yeah, it's a PepsiCo brand.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, yep. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to plug in again here for um, our book giveaway. So thanks to Brian. Uh, we'll, we'll have one copy of the book, uh, "Food uh, 150 Food Science Questions Answered. Cook Smarter, Cook Better by Brian Lay. So we will um, post the um, topic suggestion link. Uh, in our show notes and um, so you can um, write down your recommendations and um, uh, leave your email we'll do the draw uh, probably two or three weeks after the uh, the episode is posted. and um, you know looking forward to hear more topics and um, you know thanks for brian to be on the show
1: yeah, Brian, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, you're our first guest, so that's a that's a big milestone yeah. for us. But also, you know, very happy and excited um, for you to share your book with our audience as well. I've looked through it; it looks really amazing. It gives me very strong food lab vibes. Um, similar, I know you also are a fan of Kenji Lopez, so um, I think it's it's a great book, and I highly recommend people to go out and get a copy. And also, uh, before we end, actually, I know, Brian, besides writing this book, you also write for many other platforms. So for our listeners who are interested, is there a Medium account or do you have some sort of um, platform where they can continue and follow you to follow your
2: work? Absolutely. I I do have a website. It's uh, Brianquocle.com. That's B-R-Y-A-N-Q-U-O-C-L-E.com. And uh, you'll find all my posts. Perfect.
1: There. All right. Thanks so much, Ryan, for joining us today.
2: Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. It was fun.
0: Great. So you can find us on various podcast platforms. Uh, give us a five star if you enjoy the show. Uh, you can email us at fihpodcast at gmail.com. So till next time.